the most often mentioned name in all of the Bible isn't Jesus, it's David, the beloved, the shepherd boy. Why? Because he had a heart for God. The greatest compliment possible was for God to say through you was birth the God-man Jesus. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. On yesterday's broadcast, we began a brand new series about King David. If you missed that program, you can hear it again by going to our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Today, we continue in our study with a fascinating look into King David's lineage and his immediate family. Here's Pastor Chadwick. And it could be David was the marginalized within a marginalized family altogether. It could be the anger that the parents felt toward being marginalized was put upon their son. How? Well, secondly, maybe David was unplanned. He was the last child, the youngest, the Hakadon. It could be that, like some of you know, when you've got three or four or five kids and you're barely making ends meet, to have the doctor say to you, another one's on the way, doesn't cause joy, but panic. It could be David was the unplanned runt and they made him pay for it all of his days. Or maybe it's because he was ruddy, red hair, red complexion, that he was marginalized. How could that be? Let me ask you a question. Have you met many red-headed Jewish boys recently? It's not naturally in their genetic makeup. Could it be that there were whispers in the community, slanderous gossip oozing from the lips of people in the community who suggested things like, maybe Jesse's not the dad. And Jesse was so angry at these slanderous gossips that he marginalized the Hakadon. Or maybe it's as simple as David was an introvert, and introverts tend to be marginalized, but introverts rule the world. They really do. There's a book out called Quiet. And in this book, this expert suggests there are two kinds of people in the world, introverts and extroverts, and you'll know you're one in how you respond to a large gathering of people. If you're in that large gathering for several hours and after the evening's over, you're energized, you're probably an extrovert. If after the evening, though, you're depressed and depleted energy-wise, you're probably an introvert. And this person in the book, Quiet, offers the suggestion that introverts, if you really look at history, rule the world. It could be David was an introvert, but introverts tend to be criticized. How might he been an introvert? Because he loved keeping the sheep. He loved his solitude. He loved being away from people. That energized him. Moreover, when he was alone, think of what he did. First of all, by looking at the Psalms, you see 1 Samuel tells us about the life of David. The Psalms tell us about the heart of David. And in the Psalms, you read that David was a poet. And could it be that his brothers, these testosterone-filled brothers who thought military might was how you expressed your masculinity, looked at their little bro and said, how could it be that a real man would write poetry? And moreover, he played a harp. I mean, are you kidding me? What kind of a man sits on a rock and plays a harp? This is one weird dude, the boy said. He needs to be marginalized. Moreover, not only did he write poetry and play a harp, he put the poetry and the harp 
to psalms and songs of praise to God. Is this one weird dude or not? So he was, he was marginalized. Or, or maybe it could be finally. In two different places in the psalms, David talks about his mom as a handmaiden of the Lord. Could it be the mama just really loved David more than the other boys? That he had a heart of sensitivity and kindness that just drew her heart to him? And could it be that the other brothers really resented mom loving him more than them? We don't know why. All we do know is David was Hakadon. He was marginalized. He was considered unimportant in his family dynamics. Yet, God chose the Hakadon to be king over Israel. Before Samuel ever went from Ramah to Bethlehem, God had chosen David the youngest, the runt, the Hakadon, to be the next king over Israel. Why? Verse 7 tells us, God does not look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. God loved his heart. He had a heart for God. And you need to know, as the story will unfold in the next weeks, David was an adulterer, he was a murderer, and he was a really bad dad. None of his kids really turned out in a godly way. And yet, God continued to use him. Why? Because he had a heart for God. Your heart. The heart is the seat of who you really are. The heart is the place where you make decisions based on truth. Who you really are long after this body fades away and dies is who you are inside. It's your heart. Think about all the ways we use heart today to describe who we are. We learn by heart. That's our memory. If we have a whole heart, we have great effort. If we have a heart of steel, we're courageous. If we have a closed heart, we're prideful. If we have a hard heart, we're merciless. If we have a tender heart, we're kind. If we are called to have a heart, people are asking us for mercy. Put your heart at rest is a way to say, don't worry, have peace. Fix your heart on something means focus. Wearing your heart on a sleeve means you have openness to others. Do it with all of your heart, we ask, and that's commitment. A wounded heart means you've been rejected. Search your heart means look for truth. And to leave your heart in San Francisco is a song that was produced 30 or 40 years ago. But it talked about who you are and what's most important to you. Your heart is who you are, not outward appearances. David's son Solomon got this when he wrote in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. From your heart flows the springs of life. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. You are who your heart is, folks. Now, the key to David's heart for God is wrapped up in this one word, humility. 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 What is the essence of humility? Humility is the belief and knowledge that everything I have is a gift from God. I spend my days in thanksgiving and gratitude before God. I have the attitude of gratitude. I know that every next breath I take into my lungs over the next five seconds. Is a gift from God. I know every morsel of food I ingest is a gift from God. 
I know that the clothes on my back and that spouse next to me is a gift from God. I know that the job I have, the money I've earned in my bank account is a gift from God. And you say to me, but look how hard I work to earn all of that. And I ask you, where did you get the power to work that hard? Who gave you the intellect to be able to do what you do? Everything in life is a gift from God, and we spend our time in worship, praise, and thanksgiving for the one who gave us these gifts. I can't help but wonder in the wilderness if David pondered why God called Israel. I I had a professor in seminary who used to say, how odd of God to choose the Jews. And he was asking the question, why did God choose the Jews? To be his special chosen people, but also through whom he would bring Messiah, Jesus, into this world. And I can't wonder if David didn't think about Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8. God said, it was not because you were more in number than any other people than the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Why did God choose the Jews? Because God wanted to. It was nothing meritorious that they had done to earn this choice. God just chose them. Why did God choose David to be king over Israel? He was a poor shepherd boy, a hakadon, marginalized. Why did God do it? Because God just did it. Nothing within David, God just did it. Why did God choose you and me who love Christ? I don't have a clue. I look at some of your lives and I go, Lord, why did you choose them? I don't know. (laughs) And many of you look at me and go, I don't get it, God. Why did you choose him? And the answer is, we don't know, just God did it because of his grace, because of his love. Therefore, we have no boasting in our hearts about anything, much less our salvation, our relationship with God. It's all because of his grace. And I think David understood that. Moreover, in Psalm 78, 70 through 72, here are these words. He, God, chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance, with upright Heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Upright heart. Mm. You know what else that, how else that word can be translated? Integrity. With integrity, David shepherded his people. Integrity. It means your life is integrated. It means you're the same outside as you are inside. It means you're the same publicly as you are privately. Your life is holistically integrated. The best definition of integrity I've ever heard is who you are when no one's looking. If you are humble, you are the same inside and out, publicly and privately. You are the same when no one is looking. David was a teenager when God called him. You teenagers, don't you ever tell me for a second you can't be used mightily for God. All he needs is a humble heart that's willing to say, to God be the glory no matter where he's planted you. You can be in public school, private school, or home school. God can use you mightily. Don't use these words, oh, I'm just a teenager. How can God use me? David was a teenage shepherd boy when he called him and used him. For his purposes. And notice that God formed his heart in integrity and humility in solitude. Folks, your idols will come to the surface when you're alone. 
If you go be alone for three hours in solitude where your mind starts going, where your thoughts start focusing, those are your idols. David disciplined his thoughts. He formed habits in his heart when he was alone as a shepherd boy among the sheep. David met God in nature. And many of the Psalms reflect it. Psalm 8, for example, where he cries out, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. When I look at the sun, the moon, and the stars, and I contemplate, why would you even think about me? I have no answer. David met God alone in nature. He would rescue even one sheep that walked away from the sheepfold against a lion or a bear against these furious predators that David would normally not have a chance. He would leave the 99, go after the one, and with his slingshot, save the one sheep, this one vulnerable sheep from the lion and the bear, sometimes even killing them because of his courage. Now, why did he do that? Because he was plagued to an audience of one. He had only one he wanted to please, and that was the Lord God who created him. He wasn't playing for the applause of sheep. Have you ever heard a sheep applause? (laughs) Impossible. He did it to get God's pleasure and God's pleasure alone. There was no worldly ego food for David. Only his thoughts. And he disciplined his thoughts to be God's thoughts. In Psalm 139, David says, Lord, examine my thoughts and make them yours. Would any of us be so courageous to pray that prayer to God? Examine my thoughts that come into my head and make sure they're your thoughts. Nature was David's nursery. God's pasture propelled him to the palace. Saul looked the part. David had the heart. Saul was about outward appearances. David was about an inward reality. And I would suggest that all of us, myself included, would find all of our idols rooted somewhere, somehow, in outward appearances. Be honest. Be vulnerable. Search the idols of your heart, what you focus on, where you spend your time and your money. I would bet you that every single one of them has to do with outward appearances and not the heart. We live keeping appearances The result of David's heart for God, 600 times in the Old Testament, David's name is mentioned. 60 times in the New Testament, David's name is mentioned. The most often mentioned name in all of the Bible isn't Jesus, it's David, the beloved, the shepherd boy. Why? Because he had a heart for God. And the ultimate compliment to David is found in Romans chapter 1, verse 3, when Paul writes these words about Jesus. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. The greatest compliment possible was for God to say of David, through you and your flesh was birthed the God-man, Jesus. So what about you? Where's your heart today? May I give you a humility test? May I? Do you know everything in your life comes from God? Do you believe that every gift you have comes from God? 
Next question. How much time do you spend in your life working on outward appearances versus the inward heart? So many of us spend countless hours feeding our body, sometimes well, sometimes not. Exercising our bodies so that they'll be stronger, maybe have a few more years. Some even doing Botox, plastic surgery, to make us look a little bit better for a little longer period of time. May I give you a great biblical insight? It doesn't matter how well you eat, how long you exercise, or how much plastic surgery you have. At some point, you're done. In the name of Jesus, have a nice day, okay? <laughs> you're done. And, and that's not to say we shouldn't take care of our bodies. It's not to say we shouldn't try to make ourselves look good. I'm not saying that. That's the only body you get. I get that. It's just not going to last forever. Your heart is going to last forever. Do you spend as much time developing the inward habits of the heart in personal Bible study, prayer, and worship as you do with your outward body that won't last? David was a man after God's own heart. He committed adultery, murder, and he was a bad dad, yet God continued to forgive him and use him because he had a heart for God. He developed a habit of the heart. Do you? You are listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with a conversation about ways each of us can significantly improve our prayer life. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and with me today is Bart Noonan with West Boulevard Ministry. Bart, tell us about West Boulevard Ministry. Uh, Thank you, Mark, for this opportunity to speak about West Boulevard Ministry, and, and more importantly, about Jesus Christ. West Boulevard Ministry serves the spiritual and physical needs of the families and the communities within the West Boulevard quarter to the glory of Jesus Christ. Whether we're doing neighborhood outreach cookouts, gatherings where we're bringing people outside of their apartments, their homes, into fellowship with one another, or we're doing Bible study bingo the first Wednesday of every month at Little Rock Apartments. And uh, we gather anywhere from 50 to 70 children that we share the gospel with and we play bingo after our Bible study portion of the night. And a couple weeks ago, there's a young man who we've been walking with now close to three years who came in, he, he forgot something, like a lot of young, young kids do, he forgot something in the um, space, and he came back in and he ended up praying out myself and all the other volunteers for the West Boulevard ministry team that were gathered there for that night and led us all in prayer and closed it out. And this young man, we've been taking to church every every Sunday for about the past year and a half. And, and that's what it's all about. It's about providing an opportunity for Jesus Christ to work inside someone's heart and, and then encourage them along the way. That sounds great. Now, Bart, if any of our listeners want to get in contact with you, how would they do that? The best way to do is uh, either email myself at bart at westboulevardministry.org or they can call me straight up in my cell phone and I always answer. I'm sort of like a doctor. The phone's always on and that's 980-298-9027. I would encourage folks too to also go to our website, which is westboulevardministry.org and there you can see some of our photo galleries, you can see some of the blogs and a lot of things we do throughout the West Boulevard Corridor to the glory of Jesus Christ. It is great having you with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. 
I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks so much for being with us today. Hi, Jen. Great to be with you as well. Well, David, you titled this morning's e-devotions, Practice Three-Word Prayers. That title's a lesson in itself. Yeah, I want to reduce prayer to a simple methodology that people won't feel intimidated when they think about praying. Hmm. You know, a lot of folks who follow Jesus go, gosh, I know I'm supposed to pray. I just can't. I don't know how to. And interestingly, in Matthew, the sixth chapter, the disciples watched Jesus' prayer life, and then they saw his miracles and power. They made the conclusion that his power came from his prayer life. So the only thing the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them how to do was how to pray. I remember when I was learning how to play tennis and I played against a guy who just beat me like a drum. At the end of it all, I went to him and I said, you know what? I thought I knew how to play tennis. You know how to play tennis. Would you teach me how to play tennis? Wow. The disciples looked at Jesus and said, we thought we knew how to pray. You get results when you pray. Teach us how to pray. And Jesus then gave them what's commonly called the Lord's Prayer. I think it should more be called the Disciples' Prayer because the Lord was trying to teach them how to pray. And each line of that prayer is a recipe for how to pray. I've learned in my own life, Jen, if I can reduce my prayers to three words, they have great power, efficacy, and they're memorable. I think of Jesus calling Peter out of the boat. He got out of the boat, started walking toward Jesus, but when he started looking at the size of the waves, seven to ten foot waves on the Mm. Sea of Galilee, when that storm blew through, he started to sink. And he prayed this prayer, Lord save me. Three-word prayer, powerful, but I think the Lord loves that kind of prayer. So what I want to do with all of our listeners today is to exhort you to try to reduce your words in prayer to three words. Mm -hmm. And when you do so, again, they're powerful. You can remember them and you can pray them all day long. You can be in a meeting and just under your breath, pray those three-word prayers. So I've tried to ask people to figure out how to pray three-word prayers and their prayers can be more powerful. Did Mm -hmm. any come to your mind that you could reduce in your life to three words. Well, I've tried to practice an attitude of gratitude. So often I'm not even thinking, but I'm driving down the road and I'm just saying, Lord, thank you. And I'm just thinking about maybe one of my children. Three words, Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you. Or just thinking about a topic because he knows my heart and my thoughts. And so I'm just thanking him, Lord, thank you. And so, yeah, that's one of my most common ones. And here's one for me. Lord, help me. Yeah. He loves that prayer. It's showing my weakness, and when I'm weak, he's strong. Here's another one. Um, it's all yours. Mm. Here's another one. It's your deal. That's good. I like that one. <laughs> Lord, if you can just take this off my hands, then I know you can solve the problem. Mm. So it's all yours. Yeah. It's your deal. Three-word prayers that have power and efficacy for the believer. Well, another one is just stating who God is. Lord, you are God. Yep. And just making that declaration sometimes, I think those are powerful. And also look at some of his characteristics. Think with me, Jen. You are good. Yeah. That's a way to tell God, we know you're good and it's not over in my life until it's good because you are good. Mm-hmm. You are holy. Mm-hmm. You know, reminding us that if God is holy and he lives in us, we're called to be holy. Mm-hmm. You're righteous. Um, you're forgiving. You know, all of those are three-word prayers that just help us remember who God is, but mm-hmm. also have great power when we pray those prayers. I agree. And I'm just thinking one last one for a home run is, God, you are justice. Mm-hmm. And Mm -hmm. I love that one, especially for the times we're in right now. Well, thank you so much, David. This is great today. Great for us to take away with. And listeners, 
Go through the day praying your three-word prayers, how powerful that will be. And go to momentsofhopechurch.org to subscribe to our daily e-blast. They'll arrive in your inbox at 7 a.m. every morning from my heart to yours to give you a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. While you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also, check out David's weekly HopeCast, They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for the leaders in our city 